0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Lydia Buchelman. My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan-specific intercultural communication skills, especially in business. While I can't and won't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. Today, I'm very excited to share with you the very first interview of this podcast. My guest for today is Kasha, who is going to share with us a little bit about her experiences working in Japan. She's also going to talk to us about one very unique but important aspect of Japanese business culture called Horenso. But before we get into it, let's quickly go over some Japanese phrases. The phrase we learned way back at the end of season one was used when asking for something, such as when you're in a restaurant or a store. The structure is item o kudasai. O i Item o kudasai. So to ask for something, you can just put the item you want in front of the phrase. So, for example, the word juice in Japanese is jusu". So to ask for a juice, you can say kudasai. Today, we'll keep things simple and just go over the word for yes. Hai. "ha," I. Hai. A quick thing to note is that just because a Japanese person is saying yes, hai, or otherwise signaling that they agree with you, they may not actually be it's often used to simply signal that the person is listening carefully to what you're saying so try not to assume that the person you're talking to is agreeing with the content of what you're saying all right and now without any further ado let's get into the interview with kasha all right so today's guest i'm very excited to have on the show today and her name is kasha she has been very involved in Japanese culture and business for a while now. So, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to my audience, yes, thank you. I'm humbled
1: to be on this podcast, and and if anything that I shared today is helpful for your audience, I would be very pleased. So, my name is Kasha Lynch, and I um, I have a company called Ikigai Connections, and this is actually a, my baby that I've uh, been thinking about for probably. I don't know, 10, 15 years and it's finally coming to fruition. I never thought it would end up as an online type business, but he, there you go. I started learning Japanese back in the early 90s in high school and went abroad to Japan during high school, college, and I even um, went there for graduate school as well on the Monbusho Scholarship or the MEXT Scholarship. And I stayed to work for um Uh, a music promoting company there in Tokyo. And so eventually, total, it was about eight years that I lived in Japan. After that, I took my travels to other countries. Um, They included Poland and Italy. And in both of those countries, I used Japanese in all of my jobs. And then I came back home to Michigan and uh, worked in the automotive industry for a bit, also using my Nihongo. And now here I am with my own company. And I've been using Japanese basically every single day. I love everything about it. And I am just, I'm happy to share any kind of information that you'd like me to share that you would find beneficial to your audience.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for being willing to come on today, especially with your wealth of information over the years. So why would you say that what you are doing specifically is important? It's obvious to me as somebody who is um, technically bilingual in Japanese and English, why it's important to connect people in the States to Japanese companies or companies that do business in Japan. But can you just kind of explain in your words why that's such an important niche to kind of be involved in?
1: Yes, for two reasons. One of them is me personally. Over the years, I've always looked for a job where I could use my Japanese language skills. And it was extremely difficult to find um, resources for doing that. Of course, there were some I particularly wanted to um, use, you know, Japanese in a in a company outside of Japan, and that was very difficult to find. And when Mm -hmm. I was doing the interviewing and the company outreach, they were just like, "Yeah, but you're not Japanese, so really, like, Mm -hmm. how how do we know that you actually speak the language?" Blah blah blah. So that was my personal experience. And then when I worked in the automotive industry at a supplier, um, we actually had I was the manager of the executive admin department, and I had to find other people who spoke, who were just like me, who spoke Japanese. And I interviewed many, many college students who are still in college or about to graduate or had just graduated, as well as JET returnees, people who came back from the JET program. And I found so many people whose language skills were absolutely amazing. Or if they weren't comfortable with their language skills, they were very well versed with Japanese business culture or, um, you know, even like the pop culture and the historical stuff and Mm -hmm. and all that. So I found a lot of people whose passion was really all about Japan, but they just assumed it was an expensive hobby that, oh yeah, I'm double majoring or I'm minoring and it's just an expensive thing. I'm never going to use it, you know, outside of college. So I kept telling everybody, no, 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 you're wrong. Come and interview for this company. And we hired a lot of people and, They found they were actually very useful not only to the company in here in Michigan but to our other sister companies and headquarters in Japan. So it started it started showing and proving that these uh, people coming out of school or you know coming to their first job out of the jet program they're very valuable and they can do so much for your company. So that's basically why I created Ikigai Connections to kind of help bridge that gap and to prove. So I'm proving to the, the students of Japanese, hey, yes, your is, your Japanese is important in a career. And then I'm going to the companies and saying, hey, do you know about this group of people out there who are obsessed with Japan and would love to work in a company using their skills? Let me connect the two of you. But what you really need there, what's missing is you need that connection, which I'm trying to do with my company, Ikigai Connections. And you also need training. Training is very important for both mm-hmm. sides. So I'm also working on that uh, currently and hope to have that um, those programs out in the next few months. So that's why I think it's important. Sounds like you have a lot going on right now.
0: But in your experience, why do you think people were kind of suspicious of the idea of having an American who has the cultural understanding and Japanese language skills, when it's kind of just super expected that a Japanese person who is in this area would just be able to speak English, understand American culture? Why do you think people just took it for granted that a Japanese person would be able to do that sort of cross-cultural gap filling, but an American wouldn't be able to do the opposite?
1: Good question. I think that um, personally, I think it's just a lack of information. A lot of Japanese um, company owners or you know, people involved in management that I speak with aren't aware that there are so many people studying Japanese. There's so many people taking the JLPT, the Japanese Language Proficiency Test. I think there was over a million this year around the world uh, in 2018, actually, uh, 2019 last year that took the exam. Wow. And um, I have the number somewhere, but I think like um, so many of them took the N1, the, the highest level, and they passed. So there's a lot of people that are interested in Japan, studying abroad, learning the language. And a lot of Japanese people that I've spoken to don't realize that. And a lot of the companies I speak with, and in particular, I speak with the smaller companies that have less staff. And they they aren't you know, huge companies that have bilingual employees. But a lot of the uh, smaller companies I speak with, they just... They either assume that they have to bring an employee from Japan, which aka an expatriate or an expat, and that's very expensive, and they also have to find those people and bring them here for a few years, so that's not always feasible for these companies, or they have to find local people who, um, you know, they, they may lo- be looking for local Japanese people and hiring them for their companies, but maybe there's not that many of them available because they're already working for another Japanese company, mm. or they're not, you know, they're not available time-wise. Um, then they look at, you know, interpreters and translators, which are wonderful, and I admire them so much, but they may be a little too expensive for their budget. And out of the whole time I've just been like, hello, there's people out there who you really could um, utilize, and I'm calling them this untapped resource. But they, again, they just need training and that opportunity, and a lot of companies don't have the time for that. So I'm trying to see what their needs are and see if I can fill it. But um, the other thing is, is that um, I know that, Most schools in Japan, they teach English, they have them, so a lot of people assume that every Japanese person speaks English, but Mm -hmm. in America, for example, you know, there's not, not every student is learning a second language, and of those that do, not every school offers Japanese or other Asian languages, so it is kind of more, it sounds more unique, but when you look at the number of people who are studying and the ones who are so into, and I don't know why, but I'm sure you can relate, Mm-hmm. A lot of us that study Japanese are really, really into it. <laughs> we just love mm-hmm. everything about Japan. So you find somebody like that, they become an excellent employee if they're given an opportunity because, you know, maybe they didn't learn a particular language for one industry in school mm-hmm. because it's such specific, you know terminology. But if you give them an opportunity, they can use their basic Japanese skills and they can study on the job and they just absorb this like, you know, the fact that they're, even being paid to stay at a company and have to learn this terminology for some people is the dream. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. How does that apply to the cultural side of things?
1: Well, I think most people who study the Japanese language, I don't know if everybody is required, like in college, for example, if they're required to take a business language or business Japanese course or, you know, even a cultural course. Some of that is might not be offered in some schools, but If you have spent time in a Japanese company or if you have traveled to Japan and you know a little bit about the culture and the interactions with people, you'll realize just how important that underlying um, knowledge about the culture is important. So for example, um, business cards, and I know you've Mm -hmm. mentioned this on your podcast, you have to respect that little piece of paper and a lot of um, non-Japanese people, they're just, you know, they can just casually use it just like they would in their own countries, but In Japan, you are not going to fly that across the table and throw it at something you're not going to put in your back pocket. So knowing that bit of cultural knowledge is extremely important. Or even like bowing, you know, that Mm -hmm. when you stay in Japan for a certain amount of time, even we start to bow because it's just the thing Mm -hmm. that you do and it looks unnatural for other cultures perhaps, but you just, some of this um, cultural knowledge just has to be absorbed from observing, as well as you know, reading about it and whatnot. But I think the cultural aspect is so important because you can speak perfectly in Japanese, but if you don't mm-hmm. understand that you may be offending somebody because you're speaking to a higher up in a, in a special, in a different way way in Japanese, if you don't know that you may be offending them, you're not going to get the business done, right? No, nope. <laughs> 100%. So then today you
0: wanted to talk about um, an aspect of Japanese culture called so, correct?
1: Yes, this is my yes. f- like favorite topic ever. When you look up the word so in the dictionary, it literally means spinach. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of Japanese characters, those three characters that they're using, the ho, the ren, and the so, they come from three different Japanese words. So they just put them together in this like acronym. So it basically stands for hokoku or report. Renraku, or communication, and sodan, which is like consulting or discussing. And in my opinion, to summarize this, I believe that so is basically just being communicative. So mm. I really can go on in detail. I actually have written a blog post about this and I talk about this nonstop. So if anybody's interested, they could go to Ikigai Connections and search for horenso But um, basically, it's just a means of effective communication. and you know, it's so for example, I'm gonna give an example to start it off. Um mm-hmm. let's say I'm working for my boss. He brings me in on Monday and he says, Oh, Kasha San, can you please do A. Please do project A for me and give it to me by Friday. And so Monday goes along, Tuesday goes along, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Everybody's busy, everybody's doing their own things. Obviously, I have different projects on my plate as well and different deadlines. My boss is busy with other things, et cetera. So the typical thing for most, uh, the, the pre-Japan Kasha would have done is just, I would have worked on it and I would have made sure to give it to him by like 5 p.m. on Friday. And I would have probably, because I'm a procrastinator, I probably would have left until Friday afternoon after lunch and just got to working on it. And then I had to like go around and find people and get things done. So that's fine. That, oh, that's yeah. just a little, yeah. <laughs> but, but then my boss probably, so because if you switch sides, let's say I'm the boss now and my employees got this project. And I told them that I would like that thing done by 5 p.m. on Friday. But I kind of wonder, my gosh, what if it slipped through the cracks? What if they forgot about it? Or gosh, you know, I really hope they understand the importance of that because um, I need that answer so I can do something else so I can send my next thing to my boss on Monday, things like that. Mm. So everybody's relying on each other's information. Now, if. For example, Friday rolls around and I'm like 4 o'clock p.m. I go to my boss. I'm like, sorry, I actually don't have it done. Can I please have an extension until Monday? That could be a problem because my boss could be expecting that information, could be relying on it because his or her um, position may be, you know, his or, his or her reputation may be necessary to have that answer. Who, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. The best thing for Hoden, so or any kind of effective communication is to say, you know, like a little a two-second follow-up on Wednesday be like oh by the way I haven't forgotten I'll give you that report by 5 p.m on Friday and that alleviates all fears that my boss could possibly have they're like oh yeah they know Kasha's on top of it she'll get to it I don't have to worry about it my brain can focus on other things right now now if I didn't do that and my boss came to me on Wednesday and said hey do you still remember that project and that's due on Friday I might get angry because I'm like what is this micromanaging? I don't want to be reminded I got this. I don't know why they don't trust me, blah, blah, blah. Like that could happen too. But if you understand the need for all this for both sides and the need that they have for the data, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. you realize it's just keeping each other posted. You know, it's kind of like, hey, I'm having dinner on Friday, mom. Um, Can I still come over? Are you going to come over? Like You just kind of be like, hey, I'm still following up. Are you still good with dinner? Oh, you know, honey, something came up. I can't do it anymore. That kind of stuff is just to be in touch with each other. And that's just an example. So I could go into detail, but I don't know if you wanted to stop me and ask me a question. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it makes a lot of sense. It seems very practical. And I was wondering, is there like any best practices associated with Hoden Soul? Like set intervals sort of thing? Is it a daily thing?
1: Yeah, I think it really depends on the type of role and your relationship with your boss. But the number one thing is just to be communicative. So Mm -hmm. for example, one of my bosses I had at a previous company, we sat down every day in the morning for just like 10-15 minutes and we said, okay, today I'm doing ABC. Uh, I have all these other things on my list. If you ever need me to move something up, And Replace it with something else that I'm working on and so we would always be aware of our status updates We would always know kind of like just in a quick like literally a two or three minute overview like today I'm working on ABC. Are you good with that? Do you want me to do anything else because I know you said you want something on Friday? Is that more important and that's gonna take me more time. So as long as you're just Have that relationship. I think it's important now. I understand a lot of people have told me. They're like yeah, I don't have time like that with my boss well um and cuz you know people are busy they're traveling they're out of the office you have your own things i understand so email could be done very easily as well you could have a spreadsheet that you share with your boss and say hey just to let you know if you could um please open up this excel sheet when you come in on monday here's what i'm doing or a quick email that you send or, or whatever the slack or communication channel that you're using at work as long as you figure out a way to communicate that's all that really matters whether you do it on a daily or a weekly basis or even a monthly basis that's fine the other thing i'll mention though Is that a really good tip to keep in mind? Is that sometimes you need to give an update even when there is no update. And those Mm -hmm. are the best kind because, you know, especially when you're working with different countries and different time zones and everyone's got different vacations and whatnot. As long, like let's say every Monday you just check in with whoever you're working with and say, hey, I know you need this information, but I gotta let you know this person is still out. I'll get back to you next Monday. And you just kind of keep each other informed. It does not take a long time. How long does it take you to type that email? Don't have any feedback for you today. I'll keep you posted next Monday. Things like that. So even communicating on the stuff that's not happening is also kind of important. And it it um, prevents that question from coming up. You're like, hey, do you have any updates on this? Just nix that in the butt just by giving them an update before then. And and there you go. But that's, you know, again, I'm very passionate about this topic. So I think communication, that's what you need to focus on.
0: Seems like such a very straightforward like something that would already be best practices but do you have any idea why that isn't the case in the states or in more western countries
1: um, um right. <laughs> i do realize that hōdenso so in general when we when you google it online you will find more negative articles about it than positive and mm. a lot of those articles are actually written by japanese people who despise the Japanese style of hodenso in Japan if they work for a Japanese company. In my opinion, I believe that there's two kinds. There's a good hodenso and there's a bad hodenso. Mm -hmm. And the bad hodenso is just like micromanaging, being like, hey, give me this and let me look at that. And I know you were going to write that email, but let me read every single word and tell you if it's good or bad. Like Sometimes you do need to let the reins kind of go and trust that your employees are going to be doing things. So whether you call it micromanaging or bad hodenso, whatever country you're looking at, You just have to see what's appropriate for your industry and and your position, because if you're a brand new employee coming to a company, yes, your boss is going to kind of, quote unquote, micromanage you a little bit because you have no clue about anything about that company. right? But let's say you're a manager and you've been working at this company for X number of years and you already know how things work. And if somebody above you is still correcting your emails, well, that probably could be an issue. So um, you just have to see it, it really depends on you know the situation but the bad the stuff that you read out there it can get very bad so i think it has gives hodenso a bad name
0: right so from what i'm hearing is that bad hodenso is mostly just when it kind of falls more into micromanaging or when people start feeling like their boss just flat out thinks they're incompetent yes yeah so what's the line that foreigners should look out for in that situation just like give it the benefit of the doubt for the first couple months before giving it Much of a thought, or just if it gets to be more intrusive than they're used to,
1: or what advice would you give? I think it deals with, you know, I know everybody's busy, but if you have, everybody's always going to have some kind of boss. Uh, Sit down for whether it's, you know, 15 minutes or 30 minutes, at least once at the beginning of your, uh, let's say it's a new job, and you want to sit down to understand your, you know, your project what you have to do, your responsibilities, and you can include in there. I would also like to clarify um, some things about communication. Would you like me to give you these updates? Would you like me to come to your office and give you updates? Some people prefer like coming in and screaming, not screaming, like, you know, shouting through the door and saying, hey, I got this for you on Wednesday. I'll be bringing it by. Like some people prefer that kind of informal communication just to kind of get to know Um, who you're going to be working with. And if your immediate boss is, you know, very like you're maybe intimidated or afraid to speak with them, maybe start off with talking to HR if you have an HR department. But just to um, introduce yourself, like you have to open up that line of communication. And I understand that when somebody is hired into a new company, for example, there could be a lot of stuff going on. You may be going through training, your boss may not even be there for the first month, things like that. But just Take it upon yourself, even though you're the newbie, even though you may have less authority than the people above you, just try to start a conversation to see what your expectations are, because if you don't have any expectations laid out, that's going to make the rest of your job extremely difficult, not even talking about Hode so, but you know, um, like a quick status update, ask your boss, hey, do you mind um, if I have like a quick 10 minute status update with you every Monday, just to be sure. Um, I'm doing things correctly for you. They may actually be very impressed with that. Be like, wow, you know, that's a great idea. So-and-so is forthcoming and, and cares about their work and their, and the deadlines and responsibilities. And everybody knows that things come up all the time. So you may get Mm -hmm. another assignments, you know, given to you in between that, that deadline and your current uh, time. So I think it actually shows um, who you're working with that you're taking, you know, you're going forth, you're taking responsibility and you're showing that, you care and that you want to do a good job. So just get the courage and talk to your boss. (laughs) Just try your best to
0: communicate as clearly as possible. And maybe if you're afraid, because it's not only a new company, it's a new culture within the new company. Just try your best to start small and reach out where you can to try to feel out what the expectations are.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it is communication is a two way street. Mm -hmm. So just because your boss hasn't reached out to you, I mean, it could be a crazy huge company. Maybe they're not thinking about the new hire, um, but just because they're not ta- reaching out to you doesn't mean that you can't reach out to somebody to confirm. So right. by sitting and waiting and expecting something, that's almost, um, I don't know. I don't think, I don't even know if I could actually do that. I, I'd, be, I'd be sitting for like a week and being like, okay, i got to talk to somebody because Maybe they forgot about me or maybe they, you know, the person who is handling me is unable to, and they have to find somebody else to kind of help guide me and whatnot. Don't just sit there, like definitely go out and talk to somebody and find out because you can make things happen even as a new employee.
0: Yeah, for sure. Is there anything else about Horenzo specifically that foreigners should know about ahead of time, just kind of the expectation that you will communicate with them and that they will reach out to you for status updates, anything apart from that, that people should be aware of?
1: Well, one thing that I think um, some of my followers run into is that they have, like, you could be working for a boss that is Japanese or Mm -hmm. your local country's people or anybody else. So let's say we're going to talk about us here in Michigan, where you have either a person here from the U.S. or um, a, a person who came from Japan. So if they are our direct boss, and it really depends also on your structure and how far, you know, like are they the CEO? Are they a manager? Are they, you know, a, a leader of some sort? So you just kind of have to respect those relationships as well. And the more you study Japanese business culture, the more you'll understand how important th- that hierarchy is. Um, I think um, some people may have the opportunity to speak in Japanese. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to do some so in Japanese, um, I think that would just be phenomenal, even if your Japanese isn't perfect. And even if you bust out with half Japanese and half English words as long as you're trying. I think that would be extremely uh, reassuring to the boss that you'd be working with. They might find that impressive that you're trying to use your Japanese on a daily basis. And I, when I talk to people about this, they're like, oh my gosh, I'd rather, you know, they just can't imagine speaking in not perfect Japanese. But the thing is, is that you won't get good until you use it. So might as well try it, show that you're putting in the effort. And I think it'll be very impressive. Um, but hōdenso, you can use that word when speaking to your Japanese boss and they'll be like, oh, sugoi, like you want to do some hōdenso with me? That's fantastic. They might actually be impressed <laughs> that you know that part about Japanese business culture. And right? you don't have to necessarily, if you're speaking to your Michigan, local Michigan boss, you don't have to say, hey, this is this thing called hōdenso in Japan. They probably won't know anything about it. Just say, hey, you know, I just want to talk about having, um, you know, clear communication lines and I want to be sure I'm doing... What I need to for you and that you are aware of what I'm doing so we just are you know on the same page so you don't necessarily have to use the word hoden so when talking to your non-Japanese boss because they may not know what it is
0: (laughs) right for sure 100% and something I just wanted to go back to highlight a little bit was your Japanese does not have to be perfect as long as it's polite so there's a bunch of different levels in Japanese um, what you'll usually learn is mas des, those types of forms, those sentences are considered polite enough, especially for foreigners, but then there's another level called keigo, um, which you might learn set phrases in, but overall, especially if you're just starting out, don't worry about it, just focus on getting the proper Japanese sentences down.
1: Exactly. I love this topic I always tell people you don't have to be fluent and besides the definition of fluent really depends on many many factors and you can't say like I will never call myself fluent in Japanese because right. it, I wasn't born with a language actually none of us really were born knowing any language right we all learned our native tongue um, slowly and surely and so we can't expect to be fluent in any language really um, but fluency i mean gosh what does that mean i know professional interpreters living in tokyo who don't really read kanji because all they're doing is speaking and listening and they're phenomenal their keigo honorifics is amazing but they don't really know kanji and you if they would write you a, a letter or a, a, an email it might be you know less kanji than you would expect of a professional interpreter and then i know professional translators who are doing intense documents from like, you know, either language, Japanese to English or English to Japanese, but they may not be able to speak it very well because that's just not their personality. They, they prefer to stay at home with, you know, looking into their, their online dictionary or whatever. So that's their thing. So maybe you would say that they're not fluent hundred percent in everything, but they've got, I mean, they're professionals, they've got something down, they've got certification. So we all just have to kind of calm down with that word fluent, because I used that in a in a job ad when I was looking for people to come work for that supplier I was telling you about and because I used the word fluent I had so many less applicants because mm-hmm. they told me afterwards well I'm not fluent and I'm like you know what I'm not either so you have to clarify your proficiency and and so that's that's one thing but the second of all like if you're trying to start out and you're learning Japanese and you're, you know, you, you you made it into a company where maybe there's one person you can practice with, or maybe you're emailing with somebody in Japan and just try. I mean, yeah, the easy way is to use English and everybody will understand that it's fine. But if you put in that eff- effort and maybe one sentence in every email you write in Japanese, you're going to keep improving. And then maybe that person is going to respond to you in Japanese and you're going to see how they write an email, and you can learn from that sentence structure. Same with speaking. So just try a few words at a time. And I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. You'll get there in many, many, many years from now. Or if you really want to do intensive study, that's another thing. But do not worry about not being fluent. Oh my goodness. That's just, that's a terrible thing to think about. Don't worry. (laughs) Right. If you go into
0: it thinking about, oh, I'm just going to go quick, become fluent in Japanese in a year. No big deal. Um, You're going to get discouraged really quickly. So it's definitely a lot more useful to just go in thinking, okay, I'm going to learn the language in the sense that I'm going to get tools that I can use for what I need to do. Yes. And if you do that eventually, maybe you will become fluent, especially if it's, you're one of those people who's obsessively um, studying on the side every single day, like some of us are guilty of at times. (laughs)
1: Yes. And there was one class, my first class that I took that was 100% in Japanese. It was in grad school. And I had a couple of months just to practice and learn my Japanese before I started my master's program. And I was like, holy crap, I'm going to have everything in Japanese. I can't do this. So I took a a basic intro to economics course. And this is back in the day when we didn't really have like smartphones. So I carried Mm -hmm. my Japanese English dictionary, my English Japanese dictionary and my Kanji dictionary. So I'm sitting Mm. there And I also had this little electronic dictionary, which was kind of, uh, it's a little outdated now, but it did did its, you know, stuff. So I'd be sitting there and I have no clue what the teacher was saying, but then they would bust out with keizai. And I would pick Mm. up on that, like keizai. I can look that up and I'd look it up and for the next five minutes, I studied the word keizai. And I had, I felt pretty good about it. And I stopped and I looked up and I listened to the next word I could could pick up. And it was, you know, chotatsu. And then I looked up chotatsu and I worked on that word for a little bit. And eventually... Two and a half years later, I graduated. So it took a long time and it took one word at a time. But after a while, you you realize that there is a connection here and it starts making sense. And then once you get the basic sentence structure going, you can throw in a bunch of words in in the middle that you may not really know of. But if you know the structure of the sentence, you can make a good educated guess about it. So, So yeah, one word at a time one word at a time, for sure. So moving away from
0: that a little bit, what is the biggest misunderstanding that you see foreigners often have about
1: Japanese culture? I think the number one thing I hear people who have talked about, um, if there were any negative things about Japanese culture, it's rules. Mm. Oh, it's so, you know, rigid. And if you're the nail that sticks up, that gets pounded down and blah, 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 which in a sense, which is
0: actually a proverb.
1: So Exactly. The <laughs> nail that sticks up gets pounded down is a proverb. So in a sense, that kind of makes sense. Um, and, you know, so if you're living in Tokyo, for example, and you've got a gajillion people living there and they're all using the subway and the train system, you have to have rules for, you know, walk on the left side or, you know, if you're waiting for the train, stay here. And if you're waiting for the second train, stay here. And you're like, whoa, this is crazy. This is way too rigid for me. But there's so much order with that. It becomes easy And you can use the train system in a very simple way without like pushing and shoving. Well, except for rush hour when they do that on purpose, but there's rules. And so culturally as well, there may be some rules that we, as for example, we as Americans maybe think that is a little bit strange. Like, why would you do that? Why aren't you talking when I'm? you know, we're all discussing what we're going to do after dinner and there's not really, you know, there's no consensus here and you're really quiet. So why aren't you talking? And like, Mm. like a strange, awkward situation for us because we're used to talking, talking, talking and, and throwing our opinions out on our sleeve. Right. Whereas perhaps over there for depend, of course, depending on the group of people, because when I visited my friends in Osaka, maybe it was a little bit different, Mm -hmm. but I would have, you know, like I eventually started to understand this like idea of groupism and kind of just being, they're actually being respectful of other people's opinions. And I learned to appreciate that so much. So if if you're thinking, oh, Japan is so rigid in this and this and this, let's talk because there's always an understanding as to why that's happening. I mean, if you've got a gajillion people living in a, in a tiny little countryside or a c- country, I think about, t- I think it's maybe 26 Japans fit into mainland US. So think about how many people there are, and they all have to kind of get along together. So there's reasons why there's certain rules. But when you understand those reasons, you get this aha moment and you realize, ah, I get it. Okay. So that's one of the biggest misunderstandings. Yeah,
0: that makes a lot of sense. Um, So then what is the most important thing for somebody going to
1: Japan for business to know ahead Mm -hmm. of time? Oh, well, I always give a lot of tips, but one of them, I think depends if you, let's say you're going there for business. Mm-hmm. I would say, I would recommend talk to somebody who's either been there before, or you already know at your Japanese company that you're visiting to ask them the, like the top three things you need to know. So for example, there might be a dress code or you may get, um, a uniform like especially in manufacturing, you may get a jacket or a uniform when you get there that you may be expected to wear. Or for example, your company may be located X number of, you know, whatever distance away from the major train station. So depending on where you stay, you may have to pay attention to what kind of shoes you wear if you're going to be walking all the Mm -hmm. time. So a lot of little things. um, But that's like mainly for business, I think. Um, I would also uh, specifically request, okay, so uh, what's the meeting schedule like? And what, you know, what do you expect me to contribute or bring? One of the biggest things is to be prepared for meetings to come and be sure um, that you have the necessary information or the answers because you're going to Japan for a reason. Figure out that reason and really dig into that reason. That's for business. Um, and if you're going there for pleasure, I think, um, well, or if you even add pleasure to your business trip, I think it's a great idea to do a little bit of reading where you're going to be. Figure out, you know, what you'd like to see, what you know, what, what things are open and closed. Um, you know, some like temples or shrines that they might have a a dress code that you can't, you have to cover like some part of, you know, I'm not sure your shoulders or something You got to like figure that out. So, or maybe you, um, if you have certain dietary restrictions, look into that. But of all those things, I think I'll end my advice with one tidbit is especially if you're meeting people, don't be on time, be early. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and it's funny. and I think you mentioned this in one of your podcasts, but I have been to so many meetings in Japan where I've arrived exactly like on time at like two o'clock or even a minute before. And they had already started the meeting because the main people um, like the top, you know, board of directors or executives or whoever have already been there. And they're just going to get started because everyone's got a busy day. They have to move on to other meetings. And one time I arrived even five minutes early and they I- started, had started those meetings so I'm like all right going forward I'm gonna try to get to the meeting like at least 10 minutes early especially Mm -hmm. you know if I can't if my previous schedule allows for that just to always be on time and it's funny because when I used to live in Tokyo I had to meet with one of my friends from Italy who knew Japanese culture but returned to Italy came back oh son, let's have dinner okay I'm like well I got to be back at work at this time because we've got something going on so I will meet you at 7 o'clock at this train station And she came at like 745. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have 15 minutes left. I've been waiting for you because we didn't really have uh, cell phones and whatnot. So Mm -hmm. that's a problem because people plan around it and they make sure that they get their trains run on time to the minute. It's crazy. But then when I lived in Italy after that, I realized 45 minutes is nothing. That's normal, you know? So it really depends on the culture. But please don't just be on time. Be a little bit early. And always account for, especially if you're in a new country and you don't know how to get places, if you have to meet somebody for lunch out, out somewhere at a cafe or something, please be sure you take into, you know, into, you know, you, you make sure you account for like getting lost or getting out of the wrong trains mm-hmm. or not being able to find uh, the thing or missing your train. So just just be sure you are on
0: time. Yes, 100%. It's definitely important to be Bare minimum on time in Japan. Five yes. minutes early is actually on time. Sorry. Yes. Um, and then on top of that, which probably applies to any country that you go to that you're not familiar with, is just don't just be prepared, be probably over prepared with whatever yes. you're going to do.
1: Yeah. Exactly. It'll just make things easier. Absolutely. And even if you're not, let's say you over prepare and you get there and you realize you're not prepared, that's okay. People will still know that you tried. Just do your best to show, you know, don't just show up. Don't just go there not knowing what you have to wear and who you're going to be meeting with. Oh, and bring enough business cards. If you do go to Japan. Oh yeah. Bring more than you think you need. Order more, you know, like you'll give, you'll be giving away those like candy and yeah. Business cards is
0: definitely a big one. If you think you have enough, you don't at least double whatever you have on hand. Yes. Um, And, Leading off of that, is there something in particular that people tend to do that you think hurts their relationships with Japanese people? I know that everybody in Japan is different, but the overarching cultural background, is there anything that people do that tends to hurt relationships with Japanese people?
1: Yes, I think one of the biggest, and I learned, I did this myself, is not listening, Mm. not paying attention to what the person is saying, because I many, many times would be listening and just I would say my thing, they'd be doing their rebuttal or what the next thing they had to say. And in my head, I was already planning the next thing I was gonna say. And I completely missed the gist of what was told to me. And I'm, and I'm talking whether you're having this conversation in Japanese or in English, it doesn't even matter. And I think this also applies to any culture, really. Like we just tend to not listen when people are talking. And if you actually try to listen to what they're saying, as well as what they're not saying, I think that could be very big. Like we all know we hear about these you know, quiet meetings that you're having with your Japanese counterparts. You don't know what they're thinking and how does this even work? And, oh, but they're going to leave now because they're going to talk about this. And why can't we just have this brainstorming discussion here? Mm-hmm. I get it. There's a lot of frustration involved in that. But just um, if you are, and I won't get into this too much in this uh, conversation, but if, if you're open to learning how the Japanese business way of doing things is, us with our, for example, us being Americans, with our American way of doing something, if we understand each other's way of doing things, we can absolutely make things happen. So keep in mind that, for example, um, if there is a big decision that has to be made, realize that your Japanese counterparts are probably talking about it and they're having their meetings internally to discuss what kind of a decision are they going to make that's con- you know, that they are all approve on and they're going to come and tell you what their decision is to save face and to know that everybody who needs to be involved as a decision maker understands what's going into it and here's our decision but if you and the American side bust out with well now that you've said that we're going to do A, B, and C they are going to go back and talk with their other decision makers because that's the respectful thing for them to do and we can't get frustrated that they're going to leave without having a final decision. We have to realize that it does take time and i i've had so many experiences where i was like i don't understand why is this taking so long but then i've had those same experiences the more i and this was in japan as well as working for a japanese company outside of japan that was when i realized oh my goodness you know what by actually doing what they have to do by going back and talking through all the decisions. It's kind of like a chess game. They're they're coming up with different options for what could happen if you do a or B or C. It actually, at the end of the day, it kind of saves time instead of going back and forth and talking nonstop about stuff. So I know I kind of went off on a tangent there. I could really go into more detail, but basically listen and, and see what is or is not being said. And if across from you, everybody at the table, let's say you're having a meeting and your Japan side is just sitting there quietly don't think that they're either not listening or don't expect that they're going to come back with, yes, of course, or this and that. They, they have their own way of responding in meetings. So you just have to kind of learn what that is. And and even if you don't study anything online or nobody tells you anything, as long as you have an open mind and are looking around and looking at body action or body you know, movement and just kind of guess, it's very, um, you can pick up on these things. You just have to be open to it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like if, as long as people are willing to be patient, <laughs> which is a big yeah. thing, especially when you're stressed out because there's deadlines that you have on your side with people who definitely do not understand Japanese culture and are like, why are they hurrying up with their decision? We need to move on. Um, yes. I understand that that's stressful, but the more patient you can be and the more open you can be to understanding the other person's context, definitely it will actually pay dividends because Japanese people may not typically have that experience of people being patient with them of giving them the time that they need to work through things so it can actually be an almost unfair advantage if you know how to do that because then you deepen your relationship with the other people
1: yes and relationships are key once you have a good relationship really there's nothing that can stop you it's just so wonderful and then it just opens up doors to other opportunities so definitely you made a good point you have to focus on that relationship, deepen it and understand them and try to listen to them. And, you know, we've all got our own ways of doing things, whatever culture or country we're coming from. Every country is unique, just as long as you know that and you can try to make it happen that we both are on the same page by understanding each other's unique ways of doing business. So much good can happen. Yeah, definitely.
0: A framework I use just for my own sanity in this area is just kind of in a lot of areas, think about your interactions with the Japanese people as an investment rather than like in an American context, we kind of like the quick turnaround, quick results. Just yes. take a minute, be a little bit more patient, be a little slower, and you'll see things pay dividends later on, the more patient Absolutely. you are with investing in it early on. Absolutely. I agree. So, can you give me an example of a time that you had an intercultural communication breakdown? Oh, my goodness, yes.
1: (laughs) Yes, there was one time, um, and I often use this example because to me at the time it was just preposterous. It was ridiculous. But we were working on a contract with a company in New York and we were in Tokyo, and it was becoming extremely important. And this is kind of when we're also sending these. Revised contracts over fax. So this was a while ago. Mm. Um, and, you know, That'll we're going back warning and forth. For
0: everybody, they do still use fax machines, just so you yes. are aware.
1: And you're not yes. surprised. You will still encounter fax machines. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we, so, you know, you know, you, if you're working with someone in New York, we, we would work on our updates and then we'd send them that night and then they would get them their morning. We'd go to sleep. We'd come back in the morning, their responses are back. So it just kind of goes back and forth. And we'd always expect things to be done within like, you know, a week to two weeks and finally have a good contract. Well, this particular one was extremely important. We had to get it done right. And we had no time to dilly dally back and forth. So what we did was it was me the chairman the president the accountant and i can't remember me one or two other people we all sat in that room until two in the morning we went back and forth and i had to be there because i was helping they were speaking in japanese and i couldn't understand most of it but Mm -hmm. then i had to write it in proper english to make it be known so that's why i was needed to be there and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Our brains are not working anymore. We're tired. We should just go home, sleep on it, come back. We can send what we have to them. They can figure it out. But what happened was it was absolutely like a game of chess. We were sitting there and we said, okay, for this section, if we say A, they're going to say B. If we say C, they're going to say D. And we Mm. went through every scenario and it was, to me, excruciating. But 2 a.m., go home, come back in the next day guess what? Signed and approved all of that work that we put into during that night for something very important. And we brought all of the top, you know, brains together. Everybody went through the potential options. We had that done in like six days on average, six days shorter than what it would normally would have taken. And I really, I, that was like a huge, that was a, a momentous moment for me. Cause I'm like, wow, you know, there's a different way of doing things. And We all got together. It was a huge display of teamwork and being respectful, even if you're tired and it's two in the morning and you have to get this thing done. It was just, to me, it was phenomenal. I, after that, that was the turning point for me and looking at Japanese business cultures in a completely different manner.
0: And it sounds like, again, it sounds a little bit like instead of having this quick decision and then fixing it as you go along, you just really hash out things ahead of time so that you can proceed more smoothly later on
1: absolutely
0: yes yes right so just do what you can to accommodate the other person's working style and you'll start to see how it's not that one way or the other is wrong it's not that one way or the other is better they're just different it's just different ways of doing things that end up with the same result in some contexts one side one type of way of going about things might be better but they aren't inherently better or worse than the other they're just different
1: Absolutely. It's all about mutual respect. Once you have mutual respect, you really can do so much with that relationship. So is
0: there anything that you would like to let my audience know before we sign off for today?
1: I just want to say that if, let's say, if anybody is going to Japan for the first time, or if you're starting to communicate with Japanese people for the first time in a business setting, Maybe you'll have a lot of questions, but, you know, you can listen to great podcasts like Lydia's or you can look online. There's so many articles out there to help you understand and just take it one step at a time and just be open minded. There really is so much about another culture, especially obviously for me, I'm biased towards Japan Mm -hmm. and Poland because I'm Polish of Polish descent, but just every country is different. And that is the beautiful thing. So just just try and learn. And I know it's going to be frustrating. I hear a lot of frustrating stories. Oh, I went to Japan and this happened. Da, da da Just, I know that will happen. You'll be tired. The jet lag is going to affect you. And you'll have no clue what people are saying at first. But mm-hmm. just hang in there. Just keep learning. And if it's something that you're going to continue using in your business career or if you want to continue using it in your business career, I mean, there's so many resources out there to help you. And
0: another great resource you can go to is IkigaiConnections.com. I'll put that in the notes as well.
1: Thank you. She has a great
0: blog with a lot of amazing information, some stories of other people who have been to Japan and had their own careers there in some way or another. Um, She also has a job board there that you can check out if you're interested in mm, maybe taking on Japanese more seriously and then finding a bilingual job, if that's your thing. You should definitely check that out as well. And is there anything you'd like to say before we sign off for
1: today? No, I appreciate this time. Thank you so much. And if anybody has any questions, please feel free to reach out to me. All of my social media and my email is located on my website, ikigaiconnections.com. And I would love to hear from anybody with any questions or comments. And uh, thank you again for allowing me this opportunity. All right. Well, perfect. And thank you so much for your time.
0: Alright, I hope that you learned a lot from Kasha in today's interview. We couldn't possibly cover all of the awesome information she has to share, so be sure to look at the description of this episode to check out Kasha's website and to find the link to her article on Horenso to learn even more. But in the meantime, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. So, if you found the information here today useful, please subscribe for more Japanese language and cultural guidance. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to hear more content in the future, please consider leaving a review. It really helps other people find the show. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics, please email me at business japan at gmail.com. Until next time, Mata Kondo!